At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome into the nuts. I'm Mike Palm. I'm back, and he's my man, Amal Shaw. Amal, it's season one, episode 167, Fantasy Island. We landed the whale. The fantasy expert, Paul Charchian, he's going to join us in about 45 minutes. I'm not going to ask him one question about fantasy football. I've never played fantasy football, so I don't really think we should probably engage him in that, but it's my understanding he's pretty solid on totals. We'll find out what he's got cooking for the opening weekend. I want to ask him about his Vikings, too. Uh, Vikings? Yeah. I'm, well, was he a big Tommy Kramer fan? No, no I'm, I'm conflicted on the Vikings, Amal. I uh, I can see a scenario where they're a wild card team, and I can see a scenario where they're six and eleven. I can tell you one thing: I know Ziggy Wolf's not a great owner. The fact yeah. that he allowed Rick Spielman to sign uh, Kirk Cousins to a three-year, eighty-four million dollar deal toil in mediocrity. Well, I, we started with Fantasy Island and ended with the Love Boat. <laughs> last, last, last night, I'm all. I know you took the points uh, yeah. with with Louisville. That game got out of hand early. I, I I stopped watching after all the targeting penalties. I could they couldn't get any flow to the game. I didn't really get to see much of the game. I saw yeah. a little bit of the second quarter. I knew I was in trouble when uh, they couldn't hold on to the football or make a single tackle. And the way they went right down the field, uh, Ole Miss it was impressive. Matt Corral company doing a nice nice job, really dominant in this football game. If you had Ole Miss, this was. One of the better plays of the entire weekend, not even close to covering for Louisville. I want to go to the scenario, and I don't know if you saw it reported, about the guy that had the 14-team parlay. I did not. Okay, so you're coming into this fresh. I wasn't because both Mitch and Paul reached out to me about this. Ben Fox, our VP of digital content, and about 75 or 80 other people reported this story this weekend. A better bet $10, a 14-team parlay in college football. Mm -hmm. He bet all unders. He had won his first 13, and he had under 74 and a half last night. $10 $10 to win 80000 Wow. Their question to me, both Mitch and Paul reached out separately and said, how would you hedge this bet? So I'll ask you first because I already gave them my answer. So 10000 wins 80000 $10 wins 80000 yeah. Depends on how much money you want to make here. Football's easy because it's minus a 110 side. Mm-hmm. Depending on how much you want to take in as a profit, I would have gone and bet the other side for a large amount of money uh, to hedge. How much? Depends on what my situation is. Yeah. If I want to make forty, I would How about probably, if it's your situation? Me, I would have probably bet 40000 so here's what I said. I said I would take and bet 11,000 pre-flop yeah. on the over, and then I would hope the game started slow and try to create a middle with an end game. The whole question is you've got to figure out how much you can get down end game because there's some spots you're not going to get, be able to get down more than a couple thousand. In most scenarios, I hedge between 25 and 30% if I have a big payout coming. It, it, it depends. See, to me, yeah. you got 80 grand. You take yeah. away at least a $40,000 profit because he's going to regret it. For some reason, the game went over. Now it stayed under by a nice margin of eight points. Um, but it got a little hairy at the end because it, of the I didn't scoring. see it. It, it, it. The first half, I believe, was only 26 points. Right. So you even could have been over second half and had a big middle and hit it. Um, but yeah, there was a touchdown with about four minutes left that put it a little bit in jeopardy. But congratulations to that better. He hit it, he hit it with a awesome. theme, right? All unders on week one. That, that's unbelievable. Great, great insight and uh, a tremendous bet. Yeah. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday, your guy, uh, Zach Wheeler, back on track. 
You could have got them at a plus, plus price, a nice plus price in Milwaukee last night. They dominate. They blow out the Brewers and Woodard um, 12 to nothing, staying in this wild card race. That's an interesting game we'll talk about in the next segment. But are you are you back on your guy, Zach Wheeler? I, I was yesterday. You know, the yep. problem was I couldn't give it on the show because the game had already started. started it was 2 nothing mm-hmm. when we had already come on air. So I, I couldn't believe he was a plus money price. Wheeler's as good as anybody has Milwaukee has, including your guy, Corbin Burns. But uh, I thought it was a good spot, and they get it done. I, there were some good bets yesterday. So, Max, I didn't like the price on Scherzer. I would have probably leaned towards the Cardinals there, even though they got smoked. I thought Max was too high on the road, but he was dominant. He, he is looking good. He's trying to chase Walker. All right, in the last two, let's just say the last three months, has there been two better pitchers in baseball than Robbie Ray and Max Scherzer? No, Robbie Ray's been unbelievable. Every game, it's eight it's... innings, one hit ball. Eight and a third, two hit ball. And Scherzer, since he put on a Dodger, our uniform's unhittable. He really is. And how about the Blue Jays right now? Mm-hmm. I mean, they are playing well. They're coming. Big matchup today in the Bronx with Garrett Cole going. Yeah, Garrett Cole, a huge favorite today. Yeah, but the way the, the uh, Jays are stroking the baseball right now. I thought they might have changed it up a little bit and put Ryu up against Cole. They get mats today. That's why the price is inflated. I think if it was a Ryu-Cole matchup here, Cole would be, uh, wouldn't be north of $2. No, I would agree with that yeah. for sure. I, I don't think the price would be overwhelming. Remember there. opening day, the opening game of the year, Ryu beat the Yankees in, in Yankee Stadium, and he did it again yesterday. Six-inning scoreless ball. Dominant yesterday for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, eight spot there. They did a terrific job. Let's see if they can continue that trend. The offense, ever since that comeback against Oakland over the weekend, they have just been tearing the cover off the baseball. Yeah, they exploded. They rallied eight runs down against Oakland, then put up double digits, and then again yesterday, an 8 nothing shutout of the New York Yankees. They're still in this wild-card race. This is the Nuts. I'm Mike Palm. He's a Mall Shaw. 40 minutes from now, we're going to talk to Paul Charchian, NFL expert, both from a st- statistics side, a fantasy side, and an over-under side. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I understand he does fantasy. I know nothing about fantasy football, but uh, should be a lot of fun to pick his brain in terms of the NFL. By the way, your guys from the morning crew are going to be upset because we have them on our show? I know they generally get their... Uh, Feathers ruffled a little bit whenever somebody comes on a show that's not theirs. We'll see if uh, if they text me. Are you doing your regular spot on Thursday morning? Maybe I won't. Maybe I won't get the text this afternoon. I usually get on Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> Amal, I was driving. Uh, I was driving Saturday morning, coming into work, and I was listening to Vison uh, on iHeart to the Lombardi line. Our our two favorite guys, Michael Lombardi and Patrick Mar. They were breaking down the game of the day: Clemson, Georgia. Who it meant more to the injuries? What it meant down? And all of a sudden. The discussion diverted a little bit, and I think your name was mentioned. Do we have the tape? Speaking of the money line, our man Amal, who, you know, used to have an appearance on this show from time to time last year, but obviously he has his own show, and we don't want to interrupt that. But, I mean, he's on the money line on UCLA. He is all. I mean, think about that. Yeah. I mean,. I mean, like, you know, you know one thing about Amal. There's no looking back. He doesn't have a rearview mirror in his car. He's going to tell you why he's right, right? Like, there's no doubt. I'm just buying that shocking. I, I know. I think it's a buck and a quarter. He may want to just buy up the half a point up to three. I think it's plus 125 right now on UCLA, so I don't know if there's a ton of value there on the money line. But Amal, he gets set in his ways, and you know which way. Once Amal's set, he's set. That's what I love he's about behaving, him. He's behaving like these Eagle fans. They don't want the points. They don't want the points. <laughs> And by the way, Amal Shaw, who's great, he's coming up next on the pregame show right after the Lombardi line here on oh, VEASAN, the sports. Oh, really? That's nice. Oh, that's awesome. Are you going to yes, join him? Good. Are you going to join him on the show? Michael had other things to do. He didn't join you on the pregame show. If you had heard that, would that have uh, tempered your, your enthusiasm? For no, his? I would have put more money. <laughs> I would have I doubled the bet. 
Are you kidding me? There are Listen, let me tell you one of the things a friend of mine, I talk about this all the time. You'll be in line sometimes. You'll make a bet based on certain people you know that are just not winning betters. You see a bet they make, you bet the opposite side. I knew when somebody had told me on a play on Saturday that I had, they loved the other side. I was like, oh, this thing's lock, stock, and barrel winner. Uh, let's talk about reactions to week one. I yeah. wasn't here yesterday. Thanks to Wes Reynolds for filling in. So I didn't, I didn't get to talk to you about week one college sure. football. Takeaways from week one. Outside of the city of Los Angeles, I thought it was a devastating week for the Pac-12. Oh, it was unbelievably brutal. Think about the Pac-12 North. You only had one team win, Oregon. Washington and Washington State both lose late, uh, especially the night game in Palouse. Uh, we see Utah State come back against them. Cal and Stanford. And by the way, great job by David Shaw. Didn't get a chance to give him full credit. Scored a touchdown. They took the first 56 minutes and 44 seconds off of the game. Down 24 to 6. He chooses to kick the extra point. Brilliant, brilliant job by the finest academic institution in America of Stanford. And then, of course, Cal losing to Nevada as well. Let's start out with David Shaw. Okay, uh, this is somewhere in no hyperbole this week. I bet with seven minutes left to go in the game after Kansas State had the interception and the scored the touchdown, mm -hmm. I bet effectively under six and a half for the rest of the game. And I got a little plus price on it, right? There was two theories I had. One, Stanford hadn't been able to score the entire game. Correct. But if they did, they'd they have to go, to for, go two. for two. So yes. it takes two things to beat yeah. me. They convert a fourth down at the 20. Now they get, they get a touchdown pass, right? So I'm waiting there to see them line up for two. They have the field goal team come on, the kicker come on. Now they're reviewing to make sure it was a catch. I'm just like, Shaw's got to think about this. What's he done? He's got the first touchdown of the game, and he's cut a three-possession game to a three-possession game. What does he do? They kicked the point. I thought it was a fireable offense. Like, if your, coach, if your head coach is that stupid, you should really fire him. There's not a single person on that staff. Who is this staff made up of a bunch of Al Gross? I mean, the fact that you wouldn't go for two down by 18, and they use a stupid chart. I know the chart says on 18, go for two. It's absolutely unfathomable to me. It was the most preposterous thing I've seen. <sighs> All right, I want to go to the game uh, in Washington where they lose to Montana. I mean... <laughs> The Grizzlies, man. I, I thought this was the worst loss. This was the worst loss for the Pac-12, even worse than Washington State. I don't know. You lose at home in that atmosphere in Olympic. I, I, I just. Where's Jimmy Lake at? You know, this program's supposed to be close to Oregon and the second choice in the Pac-12 North. I don't know. If you're a Buckeye fan and you're a Buckeye alum, are you encouraged by the results of this weekend? Ohio State with a 14-point win and Oregon life and death with Fresno State. No, but look, the one advantage Fresno State had is they had a game under their belt. Hayner's a very good quarterback. He was number five or six last year, or four or five in college football and passing yards per game at about 335, 336 a game. He's terrific. They've got an experienced team. I, I wasn't. It's, it, from that standpoint, uh, I think it's a little bit overblown. And give Oregon credit. They found a way late in the game. But look, the problem I said all along, and I said this when we had Neil Everett on last week, the problem is quarterback play. Anthony Brown, is it? you don't take guys that go to uh, Boston College and can't start and then take them in Oregon to be your starting quarterback. It's the same thing with, with your Notre Dame program. Yeah. I know they beat yeah. Florida State, but Jack Cohen is going to have to carry the mail one day, and he's not going to be able to do it. Uh, another matchup, big game this week. Iowa goes to Ames to take, can't on, wait. I to take on Iowa State. Two disparate results here, right? Iowa absolutely houses Indiana. They get two pick sixes. They blow them out. Was that more about how good Iowa was, or is Indiana what we thought they were? No, Indiana is what we thought they were. I think you and I have said yeah. this at length. We took, we thought the performance against Penn State last year was a bit of an aberration. They got a benefit of a call where I thought he was a little bit short. They end up having a good season from that, but the reality of it is you're seeing some regression. Um, they threw two pick sixes. I think it was Moss who had both of them. 
They dominated that football game, the Hawkeyes did. But, Mike, if you go back and look at the numbers, Iowa's offense was not exactly stellar. They weren't exactly lighting up the scoreboard. So just something to keep in mind as you move forward in terms of how you perceive the Iowa Hawkeyes. And that's why we see this number going from 3.5 to 4 already. Well, their offense was what we thought it was going to be. It was plug, but they got out to a big lead, and that allows Ferentz to play the way he wants to play. They were able to rush the football. Um, Godson got 99 yards on 19 carries. If you have a Sam Howell uh, or a Michael Penix Heisman uh, ticket, can you tear it up now? And who was the other one? Uh, Michael the North Penix? Carolina. Yeah. Why Indiana would you, and North Carolina. No, the, better I mean, qu- the better question is why did you bet a Michael mm-hmm. Penix uh, Heisman future? He was, he, was, he was 50 to 1. I mean, he was in the conversation. He was one of the top 15 choices um, based off his season last year, the, I guess. But he got pulled in this game. Benched for Tuttle in the fourth quarter. I know people will argue that, hey, Joe Burrow, but remember, Joe Burrow was a Mr. Football in the state of Ohio. He was a big-time player. If he didn't have the wrist injury at Ohio State, probably would have been a starter ahead of Haskins. And LSU's always got a plethora of talent, except this year they seem to be a couple of sissies over there. And that's why I chose to take the money line with UCLA. Um, <laughs> sissy blue shirt you're referring yeah, exactly. to. Ed Orgeron's comment to the fans in the tunnel at the Rose Bowl on Saturday before the game. Boy, I'll tell you one thing. I love you, the you know what You, you know what? preceded that comment. Did you read the story on this? I did not. The, well, the fact that UCLA beat him? But they're coming out with all the You say beats him in his last he game. He didn't get the job at USC. But prior to that game, he had, in a, in a pep rally, said, we're going to bring those boys into the Coliseum. We're going to lock the doors. So this that, guy yeah. started out yelling, we're going to lock the doors, coach. We're going to lock the doors. And he said, yeah, come on with your sissy blue shirt. And the guy said, I was wearing a black shirt. It was my kids that were wearing the blue. It's a great story, though. It really and is. And now they're selling all these sissy blue shirts at UCLA. Not sure if it'll reach the, reach the height of Catholics versus convicts. Did. And nothing will be as good no. as that T-shirt. Um, <laughs> but I, I'll tell you, I think the Bruins have got a great chance to win the Pac-12. When you look at it, the North, uh, Oregon, if Thibodeau can't play this weekend, they're in trouble. Anthony Brown's going to be a problem. I said before, the best quarterback in the Pac-12 resides in Salt Lake City and Charlie Brewer. I like Utah. I like USC and UCLA, and don't sleep on Arizona State. I, I think Oregon can have a good year, but I think Anthony Brown's the shortcoming for them. San Jose State hung with U, uh, USC midway through the third quarter. A pick six really hurt him there. Final score not indicative yeah. of the game. You know, I was on the uh, Spartans there, plus 14. Uh, USC scores a late touchdown to go from 23 to 70. San Jose State was driving, had an opportunity to get that score within uh, the 14 points down 16, but couldn't do it. Give the Trojans credit. They played well. Let's see if they can build on that. Matt Campbell, uh, life and death with you and I. They, they hang they on to win the names. I know it's a look-ahead spot to Iowa next week. Game of the year, that line had drifted up to six, six and a half for this game in Ames this week against Iowa. We see it settle in now. Circa opened it at four. Well, you know, it doesn't come as a surprise based on Iowa State's performance, but you got to remember one thing. You and I has traditionally played Iowa State well. People don't realize when you have that intrastate rivalry, it, it's a big deal for you and I. It's, it's a great opportunity. Now, I will say one area where I disagree with you is in the look-ahead spot in week one. You're looking ahead to, you're looking forward to get that game the first yeah. week of the season. And, I, and there's another thing that has to be said for Iowa State. For whatever reason, and we see this with Max Scherzer as a pitcher, we see with certain teams, some people just don't perform well at the start of the bell. And Scherzer's a guy who struggles sometimes in the first inning. Iowa State is a team that struggles in week one or two. They get better as the season progresses. And when we saw it with Oklahoma, we're not writing them off. Do you have any look in this game? Line up to four and a half now in some spots, still four in others. I thought six was way too many points. Just because of the nature of this rivalry, it's usually a field goal game. I would agree with you there. I think this is a game where you look at Iowa State on the money line potentially, but I like it as long as it's four or less. If it's four and a half, I wouldn't uh, take it. But I think it's a precarious number because you feel like this one could be Iowa State winning, you know, 17-14, 20-17, something like that. Uh, Big Ten West, big picture this week. Iowa, impressive winner over Indiana. It is at home. Minnesota gets beat by, uh, Minnesota gets beat by Ohio State. Wisconsin loses at home to Penn State. 
Yeah, what's frustrating if you're a Bucky Badger fan is that you should have won that football game. How many opportunities they squandered in the first half alone? The fumble, the missed field goal. I mean, opportunity after opportunity. Then and there was another sequence where they got the false start. There was a ser- there was a, a segment of that game in the second quarter, Amal, where Wisconsin had 30 out of the 33 plays from scrimmage, and the game was still scoreless at halftime. And they were not doing too bad running the football. It was, you know, the funny thing is. You saw in the secondary Jahan Dotson running wide open against uh, Wisconsin three times, then he could only hit him one time, but they capitalized on that one. Uh, I think Penn State's a good team. You see the defense. They're an elite defense. That was one of the reasons I liked the under, because both teams came in with top 20 defenses. If Graham Mertz could play with a pulse, this program reminds me of what Ohio State had from the 90s to about 2010. Mm -hmm. No quarterback play, great overall talent. I, I think Wisconsin is an elite football team if they have quarterback play. Encouraging for James Franklin, though, to go and get that win on the road. Huge. I think this is going to propel their season. And look, if they had Ohio State at home this year, mm. I would give them a much, much better chance. Going into Columbus with fans is going to be more difficult. And I think the Buckeyes will only get better as the season progresses because their defense can't play any worse. And I, I like C.J. Stroud. I know a lot of people had a criticism of him. I think this kid's going to be absolutely elite. Friday night, Michigan State goes to Northwestern. They're a three-point dog. They win the game convincingly. Yeah, but were you impressed with Michigan State, or uh, were you a little bit disappointed no. more with Northwestern? I heard it several people on this network and in the football guy talk about this is going to be a down year for Northwestern, and it looks like it. Well, seven starters back, eight yeah. starters back. They lose a ton from that defense. That was very good. You had two guys in Slater and Newsom go in the first round. Northwestern's not the type of team that necessarily can plug in guys immediately and have an impact in terms of how they're going forward. Uh, the beat goes on for Alabama. A yeah. Credit to you. You talked all week about under, 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 under here, and it was under. Yeah, it was. But, you know, the one thing is, look, let's not get overly excited. Alabama played great. Allen's going to be out the linebacker for the year. He's out with an injury. Um, Toa Toa got injured. Should be okay. Might miss the Mercer game, but it won't matter against them. Look, Bryce Young is better than advertised. He's unbelievable. But the one thing I would point out, Miami's not good. And nobody seems to realize Manny Diaz in his two previous games, Mike, had given up 99 points. Think about that for a minute. They gave up a 62-burger to North Carolina and 37 in their bowl game. It's not like they've been stopping anybody. Carolina loses at Blacksburg. Yeah. Miami gets rolled by Alabama. Is Virginia Tech the second-best team in the ACC? I think so. Potentially they could be. Uh, I saw a Burmeister play well at the quarterback position. The other thing is, I'll tell you, if you are Clemson, you're going to need Florida State, who looked good against Notre Dame. They need Mackenzie Milton to play quarterback. They also need Virginia Tech to have a strong season. I'm going to tell you, if the season plays out the way Clemson looked right now and the way the ACC, we believe it's going to be, they're not getting in the playoff. I mean, they would it would take other teams dropping off because I get you lost to Georgia, but this ACC is so weak. There's about 15 teams that run the table in that league. If you had a If you have a Georgia to make the college football playoffs bet, were you encouraged by Saturday night? Yes, because even though Daniels didn't throw the ball overly, he wasn't overwhelming. He was still 22 for 30. Love the completion percentage. Remember, there without Washington, uh, Pickens is going to be out most of the year. Even if there's a potential, uh, Eric Gilbert could be back in the mix. And then secondary-wise, you're without an All-American safety back there in Smith. And Kendrick will be back at the corner position. I told you, I love Georgia. I knew what this defense was. And this team is going to be elite. Kirby's got, look. The thing is, maybe they have made some mistakes, and if it wasn't for one pass, we view Georgia differently because they would have beaten Alabama in the national championship. I mean, can't ask for a better scenario if you're the dogs. But they've got an elite defense. When you look at five-star recruiting, it's Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia all right there. Uh, any other surprises for you, teams that played beyond your expectations or teams that disappointed in the, in the top 25 landscape? Yeah, it pains me to say this. I, I was impressed with Notre Dame's offense. I thought they played extremely well. I was a little bit disappointed with Marcus Freeman's defense. However, I thought they gave up a couple of big plays. One was bad tackling. I thought that one, that play, the run, 
I don't think that 89-yard touchdown or 91-yard touchdown run occurs in week seven or something like that. I thought, or even in week three, thought it was just poor tackling. But overall, I, I think this team is going to be better than I anticipated. Were you impressed with Alex Grinch and his speed defense against that juggernaut Tulane? I loved it. I love watching everybody tell me about the greatness of Alex Grinch. You losers can't figure out. This guy gave up the most points against Michigan State when he was at Wazoo. Ohio State had their worst defense in 2018. Alex Grinch was on that step. I don't know whether Tulane hasn't scored 35 points in seven-on-seven drills. They somehow were a yard and a half away from getting a first down and burying <laughs> Boomer Sooner in Norman. In Norman. And tell me about the greatness of Alex Grinch. Please tell me some more. I thought Texas offense under Sarkeesian looked a lot better. You know, I didn't watch that much of the game, yeah. but look, they have. I said this last week, Mike. They, I, I, oh No, excuse me. I said it yesterday. Spencer Rattler, everybody loves him for the Heisman. Fine. Brees Hall, great player. The best player in the Big 12, regardless of position, is Bijan Robinson. Yeah. Been saying it all along. Ohio State was in the mix to get him. I was so ticked they didn't get this kid. He's an absolute beast. He's a difference maker for Texas. But can Hudson Card deliver, Mike, when they need it against teams like Oklahoma are going to score points, when Iowa State's going to score some points against them? That'll be interesting to see. But Sark's got them trending in the right direction, and you see it in recruiting as well. How much do you take away from this UCLA win? I know you were on him. Is it UCLA USC for the Pac-12 South? No, I don't you think, think you can count. I don't listen. I think there's four teams that are viable there. Utah, I, uh, yeah, Utah mm-hmm. and Arizona State. Okay. I, I like Jaden Daniels also. Remember, he had a shortened season last year, but he's a talented player. Herm Edwards teams. The one thing to remember: they've always been in games. They they always lose by like seven points, but they've been in a ton of games. DTR in that sequence of four quarterbacks and teams you just referenced, in my opinion, is probably the weakest of the four quarterbacks. But he's just a gamer. He finds a way to get it done. You said the defending national champions should start the season Always. rank one. Alabama did nothing to disprove that. Who's your number two right now? Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, Georgia. I put Georgia number two, uh, Ohio State number three, Oklahoma number four. Very good. All right, a huge rally by the Tampa Bay Rays yesterday. They were down 7-1 to one to the Red Sox. I couldn't believe it. I had them and wrote the game off, and then I saw 7-5, that goofy Grand Slam, and started watching it Is after Grand that. Grand Slam? Well, it was three errors or something like that. (laughs) Drop fly ball. When we come back, we'll look at key games in Major League Baseball today. some friendly betting advice from your favorite guys in the desert. VEASAN's Brent Musburger will be hosting Betting and Beers with Brent on Friday, September 10th from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Time at the South Point Hotel and Casino's Grandview Lounge with South Point bookmakers Chris Andrews, Vinny Maiulo, and Jimmy Vaccaro. VEASAN's team of experts will break down everything you need to know about betting on football this season. That's this Friday at 6 p.m. in the South Point Grandview Lounge. I got to tell you, I'm all welcome back into the Nuts. I'm Mike Palm. He's a Mulshaw. A couple of years ago, I went to the symposium they did the Friday before the Super Bowl. Britt had our friend Michael Lombardi okay. on. And it was, uh, it was New England and the Rams. And Lombardi did a great breakdown of Jared Goff's eye level. So study Jared Goff's eye level early in this game. Because when his eye level gets down and he gets to 5.5 average per pass attempt, they have no shot to win. And I, I took that and I bet the under every way you could in that game and it ended up 13 to 3. I mean, no score first five, first 10, first quarter, second quarter, first half, third. I mean, 
Every single under bet came in in that yeah, game. Yeah, great bet. I remember somebody had uh, the Rams to score three points. Yeah, Zach better. White. He hit the, yeah, he hit yeah, the index bet. bet. I think that he won 40000 he, he Yeah, it was 40 to 1 or 50 yeah, to 1 yeah. on that one. Yeah, it was yeah. a great bet. Yeah. He, I think he bet 3, 7, and 10. He bet three index numbers on the Rams. Beautiful. And he hit, he hit it cold. Like, let's take a look at some Major League Baseball today. We referenced the Blue Jays, Red Hot Blue Jays, second game of their set at Yankee Stadium. Steven Matz goes to the mound for the Jays. They're going to take on Garrett Cole, who's been terrific as of late. Cole's a huge favorite here, Amal. Minus 235 on the run line. Yankees still laying uh, uh, $1.10 here. This, is this a reverse run line spot for you, or is this a pass game? No, it's a pass game. Um, you know, the Yankees, though, good opportunity. Have lost three out of four. Remember, they lost two out of three against the Orioles. Uh, good chance to bounce back. If you're going to take the Yanks here, you've got to take the run line. Garrett Cole, as you alluded to, has been dominant. I mean, his last four starts, Mike's just given up two earned runs. During that stretch, he's gone 30 and two-thirds innings. He's been outstanding. And how about the strikeouts during that stretch? Incredibly or equally as impressive, 39 Ks during that run. I look at this spot here, um, and we're going to see how good the Blue Jays' bats are, right, when they get to go up against Garrett Cole. I had Lance Lynn. You know, I have several tickets on Lance Lynn for AL Cy Young. In trouble right now. I had a couple bad starts revealed with that belt incident where he got thrown out of the game. Uh, by the umpire for throwing his belt out on the field, that he had an injury. He's on the IL now. Is it once again Cole's to lose? Yeah, when you look at the numbers, I think so. I mean, you got to give Garrett Cole credit. Uh, look, he's been outstanding. I, I've never been the biggest Garrett Cole fan, but his numbers are undeniable. 155 innings, 215 Ks. I mean, Mike, what we, we're in early September. Um, he's probably going to make, this is going to be one of four starts remaining. Yeah, he might... I think he might get four more. I don't know. Depends on if they're still in a battle for that wild yeah, that card. Could be that. True. That's a good or, point. Obviously, they're going to be in the wild card game. They want Cole going in the wild card game. So he may not get a start that last week of the year, depending on how the rotation lines up. But when you look at it right now, the Yankees, uh, they've played 138 game, 137 games. So, yeah, I would expect him to get at least four starts, including today. Um, he's probably going to wind up at 250 strikeouts. He needs 35 Ks over four games. You'd think it's very plausible the way he's been dominant. So I think he gets to 250 Ks, won't even wind up with 40 base on balls, um, could come close to around probably 180 innings. I mean, you have to look at him right now as a front runner and potentially winding up at 15, to, excuse me, 16 to 17 wins. Phillies uh, take on the Brewers again tonight at Miller Park. They're going to send Aaron Nola to the Hill to uh, go up against Eric Lauer. Brewers had a run of where they won five or six straight starts for Lauer. Hasn't been the case the last couple of games. Interesting line here. Just a short favorite for the Brewers. Minus a dollar fifteen here, Amal. You can uh, you can actually get uh, get the Phillies here on the run line at plus one fifty five if you lay the run and a half with the road team getting the nine at bats and a total of eight and a half. Yeah, when you look at um, uh, Aaron Nola, he's been inconsistent this year. Gave up six in his last start against the Washington Nationals. That one was on the road. Uh, he had a rough start against Washington previously in August. So two of the games the Nationals have really roughed him up, but Mike, I, I don't think it's a bad spot to take a look at Philadelphia here. I, I kind of like them a little bit in this spot just based on the price. Even though Milwaukee, this is a team sitting at 84-55, and 55, really had an outstanding season, but they've not been overwhelming at home, just 38-31. Yeah. Phillies are a game and a half back of the Braves mm -hmm. in the East, so that's still not settled yet. And the Mets, Mets have been hanging around, get a lot of games versus the Marlins, keeps you in a race. And they're two games back of the Padres for the second wild card um, in between them, of course, Cincinnati Reds, who, who lost again. Cubs have won seven in a row, by the way, yeah. without anybody, anybody really noticing. But the, uh, the, the Reds, who had gone ahead of the Padres, now sit 
uh, sit a full game behind the Padres for the second National League wild card. One more game I want to hit real quick. White Sox at A's tonight. Uh, I'm all here. A's still in the hunt in the American League wild card. White Sox with a comfortable lead overall. Short home favorite for the A's, minus $1.35. A little bit of a high total on a night game here in the Coliseum at 9. Yeah, I think with Lambert on the mound, you know, uh, that's why you're seeing such a number. Just eight innings pitched, but a whip of 2.12. All right, when we come back, we're going to see who Amal and I are playing tonight with Amal in or out and the Palm Reader Playbook. season is here and starting Saturday, September 11th of all, we have new talent and shows to help you make the most of your fall betting action. The VEASAN lineup will expand to 21 hours of live programming every weekday as well as additional shows on the weekend. We want to give you the latest odds to stay on top of the in-game betting opportunities for every key game across the country. We have added new personalities to our existing world-class team including former professional athletes, sports media veterans, and, of course, strategic sports bettors. Visit vston.com to see our new lineup and talent and make this your best football betting season ever. Welcome back into the Nuts. I'm Mike Palm. He's Amal Shaw. Exciting news, Amal. They're yeah. adding, adding bettors to the network. Let's do our plays here, and I want to start out with where you're going. I would suspect it's the U.S. Open. It is, and I'm going to go to Ariana Sabalenka taking on Barbara Krejcikova today, minus 170. Mike, I think this price is too low. This is a fast court. Sabalenka is probably the most powerful hitter on the women's side. I expect her to take care of Krejcikova, who limped to the finish line against Garbina Muguruza the other night. I expect Sabi to win this tournament now. When you look at the remaining field, she's got a great chance. Bencic on the other side also with an opportunity. But I think it's going to be uh, Ariana Sabalenka getting through here against Barbara Krejcikova. Uh, Muguruza complained and and yelled uh, at Krejcikova at the net, very unprofessional yeah. after the match. Uh, what did you think of that accusation? Well, I think it was accurate. I mean, you're at five six serving in a second set, and you take an eight and a half minute uh, break after she had won like five consecutive games. Yeah. Right, four it was consecutive. Four zero. Games. It was four yeah. zero, and all of a sudden yeah. six five. Yeah, <laughs> they they got to stop this nonsense in tennis. I'm telling you, they got to stop. If you're injured, get the hell out of here. Quit. This this has got to stop because the, the, you can't have ten minute breaks in between. It's ridiculous. Is there a concern that Kretchikova doesn't make it through this match? She said she was dizzy. She felt the world swirling around her. She never had this kind of feeling before. Yeah, she's like a lot of people on the t- in tennis. You know, whenever anytime they're losing, they're always dizzy. When they're winning, oh my God, they find a cure immediately. It's amazing how many players when they lose a set, all of a mm-hmm. sudden are not feeling well. They've got an issue. But at a at a major like this. I, I think it would really be an indictment of her as a player and her character if she were to retire in a match, unless you're severely injured. The previous ATM, Ash Barty, did get knocked out here. You had crushed me. You had you had a future at four to one, which, yeah, you could, a, which was down to two to one as soon as she played her first match. Yeah, she was up a double break. You would never expect a player of Ash Barty's quality and caliber to be able to lose a, a match, winning third set five two, serving twice to knock it through against a you know a. Solid player, but not an elite player by any stretch in Shelby Rogers. And then we see Shelby Rogers. Uh, Emma Raducanu just took her to town yesterday. 
just absolutely crushed her. So a little bit surprised by that result. Uh, before I ask you about any other future, Shelby Rogers in her post-game press conference talked about how she will get destroyed on social media now after she loses. Yeah, that I find interesting. I'm just surprised by that because, I, number one, I don't think a lot of people are probably betting on Shelby Rogers, but number two, it's preposterous when people do it. I've always thought on social media, I'm not on Facebook. I think on these on Twitter and all these things, I've always said, hey, you should have to give your driver's license. So, you know, RX7110, whatever these numbers they create, and they create these fictitious accounts. They can't be as outspoken as they want to be. If they want to be that way and you're, you're public, no problem. Go ahead and say whatever you want to say. But let's have people actually show who they are if you're going to sit there and, and spew this type of hatred. Your ticket on Ash Barty, gone. Yeah. Did you take any other futures after that happened? Yeah, I did. I took two. One is also gone. Angelique Kerber at six and a half to one. I thought the way Kerber was playing, she's a former U.S. Open champion. Uh, but I've also got Sabalenka at three and a half to one. I like Sabalenka's chance a lot with the rest of this field. But if she gets through this match, which I expect her to, I'll probably look at a hedge situation. But I think the next round is Fidelina versus Leila Fernandez. And I think uh, either winner of those two, I think she should be able to get through. Djokovic drops the first set again the other night against an American. It was a fantastic scene at the Open. The crowd was, yeah. the crowd was on its feet. It, it really was. And then he... He lost, a, uh, he lost a 24-point game where he got broken in the second set. Then he broke back and really dominated the match from that point. Look, the problem <laughs> with guys like Novak, and you and I have talked about this, um, you're playing Rafa, Roger, N uh, Novak in their prime. When they get broke, when they lose a set, it's actually worse. You're better off dropping the first set because then they will really focus. And remember, I told you that in the French Open. I said, listen, it's better mm -hmm. in a certain situation if you win the first set, if you're, if you're betting the other side, because then Novak focuses in and he just took uh, 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 Jensen to town there. You have a future ticket on Novak, correct? I you, do, yeah. You yeah. laid 140 or yeah, something before very the good tournament? Memory. Yep, mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, look, uh, it's going to come down to him and Medvedev and then Zverev potentially there. It's been, what, 27 years or something like this? Or more 1968, than that. Oh, I believe. longer than that. Yeah. Since 40-something uh, years. Since a, uh, Rod Laver. Since a calendar year. It's calendar fine. year grant. And I think he's going to do it. I do, too. I think Medvedev, uh, who just pulled through in four sets here against mm -hmm. the Dutchman, um, I think he's got a great chance uh, Novak does here. Yeah. All right, let's go to the uh, the Palm Raider play. But I'm with you uh, with Sabalenka, and I really made this bet based on Krejcikova's physical difficulties in that match. I, I think she's going to have a tough time. At full strength here, I think Sabalenka is the better player. And and for Gil and all his listeners on a numbers game who have the future, I'm not wishing you poor here or wishing you bad luck or wishing your run to end. He's been great with Krejcikova and all the data on her hard court. But I think it's done tonight. I think it's all over with here. And, and I think it's Sabalenka in straight sets. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. But remember one thing with Krejcikova before last year, she mm -hmm. had a career under 500 record on hard courts. Yeah, She's French Open champion. That's yes, where we yeah, came exactly. to know her from. Big, big difference, yeah. The clay courts. Uh, so many World Cup qualifiers. It's just hard to keep track of all of them. But a lot of them have, in Africa, the totals are one and a half or two. Uh, this is the only match I found with a two-and-a-half that I like today. Austria-Scotland. This is coming up in five minutes, folks. Euro qualifier. Under two-and-a-half, minus 140. I wanted to play the Faroe Islands under again today. But it was, it's tough to go to the Faroe Islands. I, I mean, they have a soccer team that could qualify for World Cup. They only have 30,000 people in the country. It, it always amazes <laughs> me when places like this have, have team. It, it's just unbelievable. It's so impressive that they actually can qualify. Maybe someday we can actually get to... The World Cup final yeah, in maybe. my life. Yeah, if we get a few people in this country. 1-1 one, one again with Canada. I, I hit the 2-2 two, two unit plays it. over the week. I couldn't believe it got to 1-1. One, one. It was I, scoreless I, and a half. I, I know. I was like, come on. How many I times I didn't even hedge the 2.5, though, at 1-1. I didn't no, even I hedge I mean, it. how many times are we going to struggle against the Canadians? Always. I mean, they've got two cities supplying players from Vancouver and Toronto. Yeah.
And then uh, I'm going to take the Red Sox at a bounce-back spot here. They blew that big lead to the Rays, but here's why. Because Eduardo Rodriguez pitched so well against them at the Trop last week. I watched that whole game because I had Tampa Bay. Uh, he, he was fantastic for six innings. Every time he needed to get a swing and a miss, he got it. I'm going to play him at home today in the first five. The game's pretty much a pick him. L.A. 110 here uh, in the first five with Eduardo Rodriguez. You know, I'm a little bit surprised you're coming back with the Sox in this one. I was kind of thinking of potentially Tampa because of that nuclear meltdown by uh, Boston yesterday. I couldn't believe it. Seven oh. to one. I look up, I see seven six, and I'm like, oh boy, I can't believe the Reds. They're are usually very one. tough too in holidays where they play that early start in Boston. By the way, do you think people are not talking about the Rays enough? I think this team is playing outstanding. I, I, some people are talking about them as the best team in baseball. You think they're better than the Dodgers? When we get into the seven game set, no, not with Walker, Max Scherzer going. Uh, they're going to be too tough, and you've got to face them four times in seven. Are they going to represent the AL in the World Series? I believe so. I said it's a repeat of last year's World Series. Who's the biggest threat to them? Ooh, good question. I would say the Yankees for one reason, because they've got a horse in Garrett Cole. Yeah, not the White Sox? No. White lineup, but too inconsistent. Yeah. Up next, Paul Charchi. If you're looking for more sports betting discussion around your local teams, Bet Rivers has you covered. Bet Rivers has launched a series of city casts designed to tackle sports betting from a local perspective. The Chicago, Detroit, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh City Cast are up and running with five new episodes every week. Subscribe to your local city cast wherever you get your podcast. Really cool idea there. Welcome back into the nuts. I'm Mike Palm, and he's Amal Shaw. And it's our pleasure to have on our show for the very first time. Paul Charchian, Chief Execution Officer at GuillotineLeagues.com, fantasy football expert. Fans of the network will know that he appears in the Mitch and Paul Show, Follow the Money, every Thursday morning, and we're happy to have you on here, Paul. I'm happy to be here, even though we're, we're going to mow we're going to mow their lawn uh, talking about our Thursday night game, but that's okay. <laughs> They'll never know. What do you make of this total for the opener, 52, with the Cowboys and the Buccaneers? Yeah, and you know, I think this is where fantasy guys can really help. So, you know, we're really tuned into points scored. I think if you're going to talk to a fantasy guy about betting-related topics, the thing we're best at, I think, is hitting over-unders. And here's where we're going over 52, and I feel pretty good about it. Tampa's implied total is 29, but I think they're good for at least a touchdown above that. Tom Brady's my highest-graded quarterback for this opening week. His three wide receivers, Evans and Brown and Godwin, all have strongly positive matchups against their cornerback counterparts, Trayvon Diggs and Anthony Brown and Jordan Lewis. And if that weren't enough, Rob Gronkowski is going up against a first-start linebacker, Micah Parsons. He was a first-rounder, but this is his first NFL start. That's a positive matchup. And on top of everything else, the Dallas safeties are, are potentially awful. Malik Hooker, formerly of the Colts, will be playing his first game since blowing out his Achilles. DeMonte KZ was so bad last year, the Falcons couldn't stomach starting him for another season. Let him go, and that's the Falcons. So there's that. Then when you go to the Dallas side, their implied total is, is just 23. And if we think Tampa is quite a bit better than 29 points, then I don't even need Dallas to get to all 23 of these here. They're not going to be able to run because nobody runs on the Bucks and nobody did last year, but... 
All three of Dak's receivers have got very positive matchups, especially C.D. Lamb against Sean Murphy bunting in the slot. Uh, Sean Murphy bunting allowed a passer rating of 108 on throws in his coverage last year. And Dak should find Zeke through the air. Tampa Bay allowed the most receptions to running backs last year. And even if some of those points come in, come in garbage time, what I think is ultimately going to be a pretty one-sided game, this is a, um, I think they're going to hit that 52 total pretty comfortably. Yeah, Paul, I think you make a lot of compelling arguments for this one, and especially from the standpoint that Dallas will somehow still find a way, even if it's in garbage time, to get to 21 points. I think you see Tampa probably getting over 31 potentially there. Uh, I'm curious how you guys take into consideration, because uh, I've never played fantasy in my life, so I've no, I don't know much about it. But uh, when you take into consideration how poor the Dallas defense is, obviously you're an expert in this, So, but I'm talking about the average person from handicapping a total because we get how good the offenses are for both sides. But this Dallas defense, I, I don't see much improvement from them. I get they added Mark, Michael Parsons, but a lot of question marks throughout them for them throughout the entirety of the season. Yeah, they churned their secondary, but they didn't replace it with anybody who materially helps. And so, uh, you know, I'm with you. And, and, you know, from a fantasy standpoint, we're really trying to ident identify the player versus player matchups that are going to happen on field the most often, which is why we talk about Evans and Brown and Godwin against Trayvon Diggs and Anthony Brown and Jordan Lewis. And we're really we're trying to find those individual matchups that are exploitable. And Tom Brady can exploit some matchups. Let me tell you, this is uh, Brady potentially sitting on a very big season. It all starts here. Well, I want to talk about Tennessee, uh, <clears throat> the Tennessee Titans specifically, and they're playing Arizona Cardinals in week one. They're laying two and a half with a total of 52. I thought one of the most compelling questions for the NFL this year was, was Tennessee going to get better with the addition of Julio Jones, but with losing Arthur Smith as their offensive coordinator? Of course, he goes to Atlanta where they got Jones from. It wasn't a direct trade, but that's the end result. Tannehill's numbers completely different under Arthur Smith than the whole rest of his career, whether it's Texas A&M, yeah. the Dolphins, uh, or Tennessee. Do you think Tennessee will be improved on offense with Julio Jones, no Arthur Smith? And are they going to have to get in shootouts all year to overcome this pathetic defense? Uh, they will be better uh, this year than I, they were last year because Julio Jones is a huge step up over Corey Davis, you know, provided he's healthy. And even when he's not, you know, they, we know that this offense can function at a high level with just two guys, Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown, and that's really all they need. I think Todd Downing, in his second stint as offensive coordinator, is going to be pretty good. And I think he, you know, he knows this team. He's been with it for a long time. He knows how to power it. He learned from Arthur Smith. So I'm not worried about that offense at all. In fact, this game's got my number two and number four ranked fantasy quarterbacks of the whole week facing off in the same game. So I like the over 52 in this one a lot too, Mike. Tennessee's implied total is 27. That's very attainable to me. The Cardinals secondary lost Patrick Peterson, and they replaced him with Rob Alford, who hasn't played a snap of football since 2018. The, uh, maybe Alford's going to be fine at some point, but man, talk about needing to knock the rust off. You haven't played since 2018, and here comes Julio Jones healthy and A.J. Brown. That's a total mismatch in this secondary. The other starting cornerback, Byron Murphy, a total liability. He allowed 10 touchdowns in his coverage last year, which was the worst mark of all cornerbacks in the league. And these are the smallest starting cornerbacks in the entire league. And it's A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, physically dominant. So the passing game is going to click here. You know Derrick Henry is going to get his. So that's why I like Tennessee to go well over their implied total of 27. Arizona's implied total is 24. They're going to, they'll be there. They'll get to the 24 with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. 
The Saints needed a lot of the Saints let Janoris Jenkins go at cornerback. He ends up he ends up heading over to Tennessee. He's not good and he's old. And opposite Jenkins, they've got an inexperienced quarterback named Christian Fulton, who's overmatched uh, last year as a rookie. I don't necessarily like him any better here. Uh, Hopkins can dominate both of those guys. And then Kyler Murray's rushing is just a total point generating wild card. So I roll all that together. This feels like this feels like an over 52 to me. Speaking with Paul Charchian, Chief Execution Officer at the guillotineleague.com. Yeah, I understand Brian Kelly's also a staff member on that board there. <laughs> uh, want, <laughs> want to ask you, Paul, about the Browns-Chiefs matchup late window on Sunday, so a lot of people will be in action on this one. I'm seeing a total of 54.5 in this game, particularly at this point in time. How do you see this total playing out, potentially both explosive offenses, but is this a number that might be a little bit too high for your liking? It is a little too high, and I'll tell you why I'm, I'm really concerned about this one. People don't realize how improved the Browns' defense is going to be this year through a combination of injuries, COVID guys coming back, and a draft that helped this defense as well. You get a fully healthy Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney. Importantly, they get Denzel Ward back. Huge, huge gain. They get Greedy Williams back. That's a big gain. Their second rounder from last year, Grant Delpit, missed the entire uh, the entire season. He's back at safety. They get a first rounder, Greg Newsom at cornerback. This defense is going to be dramatically improved. And remember, from a scoring standpoint, they ha- they really did hold the Chiefs in check. And so this is the biggest total on the week. I like the under. Again, I think people are sleeping on the Browns' defense because that takes work, and people aren't analyzing it that deeply. This is it. This is going to be a very good defense. Monday night, the Raiders host the Baltimore Ravens. First time with fans at Allegiant Stadium. The total set yeah. at 51. Overall, how do you see Lamar Jackson from a fantasy standpoint, maybe an MVP standpoint, and then specifically the total on this game, Paul? All right, well, let's start with the total. Um, this is screaming under. For all the fans that finally get to go into this stadium, I don't think they're going to be very happy with the outcome on this. This is the third highest total of the week, coming in a game with two offenses missing key contributors. The Baltimore offense has got an implied total of 28 points, but their number one running back is out. Their number one receiver, Marquise Brown, just returning to practice after missing a month of training camp. Sammy Watkins, first game with a new team, and, and half of Baltimore's depth receivers have already been ruled out of this game. I'm worried about Baltimore hitting their total. I'm even more worried about Las Vegas hitting their implied total of 24. First, you know, Baltimore's a really good defense that Las Vegas has to go beat, and they returned pretty much every starter from last year. They ranked sixth in rushing yards allowed last year, sixth in passing yards allowed. That's going to be problematic, but the big issues here are the Raiders' offense. Raiders are going to be trotting out an offensive line with four new starters. And the one guy who returns, Richie Incognito, only played a game and a half last year. So it's almost like five new starters on this offensive line. The two Raiders running backs, Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake, are point-averse. Those two guys last year had a mind-boggling 46 carries inside the five-yard line last year. And those two guys turned 46 carries inside the five into 15 touchdowns. That's it. Nelson Aguilar's gone. He was he was the highest scoring wide receiver with eight touchdowns last year. The next highest scoring wide receiver on this team from last year had two. I just don't see where the points are coming from for uh, for the Raiders in this game, and that's uh, that's why I like the under fifty one. I like the point you make in this game here a lot, Paul. Real quickly, I just want to add to that. You look at obviously Justice Hill and J.K. Dobbins out. You mentioned this Ravens defense. I, I think this is a great play on the under here as well. I, I tend to agree with him, Mike. 
Paul, I got a real quick question for you. I'm not a fantasy guy. My boss, Derek Steven, who owns Circa, the D Golden Gate, they got into this league where you purchase the teams and he paid whatever, 60000 for it, and it's your draft pick order. And it, it, it's um, a dynasty league, and you have to use the salary cap, right? You draft these folks, and, and it goes against the cap, what they're actually getting paid in the NFL. But so we had the second pick overall. I say we because I'm some part of some part of being involved with it. But <laughs> okay. we, took, we got Justin Herbert. The number one pick was Patrick Mahomes. Chris Carter's team got him. But then we ended up, this was before uh, the Cam news, we ended up taking Mac Jones as well. So we have two quarterbacks. Is that important from a fantasy standpoint where you, you actually ended up with two starting quarterbacks in case something happens to Herbert? Uh, normally, no, it's not that important because mm -hmm. typical league is 12 teams deep and there's about 25 capable fantasy quarterbacks. So a lot of times it doesn't matter. Um, and if Mac Jones doesn't work out, you can just kick him to the curb and go find somebody else. And that's if you're in a one quarterback league. Now, there are leagues that have two quarterbacks or have give the option of starting two, then it's a whole different story. That's when you, you really need to have two and sometimes three quarterbacks. But you're set, and I like your first round pick because Herbert's on his rookie deal, so it didn't cost you much. Yeah, it was a great pick. This actually happens to be 32 teams, so I think they're in good shape here. Oh, <laughs> in that case, then you do the second quarterback straight. Yeah. Thanks for the time, Paul. Great stuff Thanks, today. Mike. Thanks, Paul. Thank, Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Give you a very nice answer. I'm not surprised it's a Minnesotan. Well, Minnesota nice. The thing is, there's a million variables, right? So it's <laughs> tough to narrow it down. But we're learning as we go. Stay tuned to VEASAN. Up next, betting across America.